Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of the A-List podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag and indeed.com. Welcome into the A-List podcast. I'm Kwani Lunich, joined by H.R. Blakey and Gary Washburn, as usual. At this point, if you're a part of the NBA fan nation or just Celtics nation overall, you've heard that, unfortunately, Bill Russell has passed away at the age of 88 on July 31st. So this episode is really just going to be dedicated to honoring his legacy, not only on the court, but off the court as well. So first, Gary, Sherrod, I'd love to hear you two share some thoughts on his impact specifically in regards to Boston. Well, you know, the thing about Bill Russell, uh, first and foremost, it, it never seemed that we would ever get to a day where we, we would be talking about him in memoriam. It, it really did feel like this guy was going to live forever. Uh, when you look at just the impact that he made, the time in which he came into the league and, and the many basketball luminaries that have come and gone since he arrived. And yet Bill was always there, always present. Uh, his you know, when you look at the narrative that is Bill Russell, uh, there's so many different chapters with so many different layers to them that the one that we're talking about right now in this, this particular moment is, is him in Boston. And that was a very um, hard to define relationship. I mean, there was obviously a lot of positives that came about with his time in Boston. You're talking about 11 championships and being a 12-time All-Star, five-time league MVP. I mean, the list of individual and team accolades is unmatched uh, when you look at his body of work. Um, But his relationship with the Boston Celtics was very different than a relationship with the city of Boston, which at that time did not welcome him with open arms. Uh, in fact, anything but that. Uh, there were lots of issues involving racism, whether it was vandalizing his house uh, to the point where, you know, one time he, him and his uh, family went away for the week and they came back and found that their house was broken into where uh, to the point where there was defecation inside one of his beds. I mean, it got really nasty, pretty gruesome when he was in Boston. And while certainly time, I think, uh, made it a little bit more manageable as far as his relationship with the city of Boston, those wounds are never were never going to fully go away. Uh, they may have been smoothed over, but they by no means uh, are ever going to go away. And frankly, they're part of the narrative that is Bill Russell. Uh, so I, I think about his time in Boston as a mixed blessing because there are definite positives that he brought to, to the city, but there's some pretty nasty stuff that he had to deal with and contend with while he was a Boston Celtic. And Gary, you actually, your headline for the Boston Globe was Boston had a complicated relationship with Bill Russell, its greatest winner in both basketball and in life. One, I would highly recommend for people to check that out, but what was your perspective on his relationship with the city? I just thought um, he was not going to make people feel comfortable. And I think that we have to look back at an NBA in the 1960s that like what I did the book on Spencer Haywood, who was the first person to go hardship and enter the league uh, without having finished four years of college. Okay. I say that because the league in 1970 was obviously all white owners and was a majority white league. 
they were deathly afraid of young inner city black men entering the league and infiltrating the league and dominating the league, which eventually happened, right, in the 1970s. So just go back 10 years to the 1960s, the beginning of the 1960s, the Celtics were not a popular team, even though they were winning championships. The Bruins outdrew them. Uh, many people, mainstream America, white America, were very uncomfortable with majority black teams, with too many black players on the team. Russell, and let's not only talk about Russell, what he endured, Casey Jones, Sam Jones, uh, Sat Sanders, Willie Knowles, John, young John Thompson. There's all types of African-Americans that, that passed through Boston in the 1960s that they were not popular players. The Celtics did not sell out every game like they do now. There was not, these guys were not championed as, as local heroes like Ted Williams was or Bobby Orr. So I, that affected Russell's relationship with the city because he resented that. And he didn't make want to make people feel comfortable. And he didn't feel the support of his teammates. He had kind of an icy relationship. I think people associate Russell and Kuzi with being this longtime point guard center duo. Um, you know, Kuzi retired in the early 1960s. So Kuzi, uh, you know, did not play. They didn't play 12 years together. And Russell resented Kuzi because he felt like Kuzi was getting endorsements. So was Heinsohn. Remember, Kuzi and Heinsohn were both local boys from uh, nearby Holy Cross. They were like the local kids making it good for the local ball team. Uh, Russell didn't enjoy that type of treatment. So Russell was angry that his teammates, many didn't support, not openly support him as a teammate in terms of like, hey, like stop the, all this racism, stop all this discrimination, come out to the games. These are amazing men. Like he felt like Kuzi, obviously the, the game that was boycotted that uh, some of the white players did participate in that, that Russell called for a boycott in Kentucky. Like there was just certain things that set Russell off that he didn't want fans at his Jersey retirement in 1972. He did not show up to his hall of fame induction in 1975. Like he was considered a surly man um, even though he, in, like, that changed, obviously. In the 1970s, him and Oscar Robinson were not nice guys. They were both upset about how they were treated by the league, how black players were treated by the league. You know, you asked me about Oscar Robinson. Oscar was not, nothing nice. And his, neither was Bill Russell. And Russell made you accept him for who he was, an intelligent man, not only a black man, but an intelligent man. And you had to respect that as a coach and he loved his teammates. He loved to win. He loved beating Wilt Chamberlain and whoever else was in his way, Jerry West and the Lakers. But I think that there was something that was always kind of nodded him about the way he was treated And the Celtics over the years, did tremendous efforts to try to make up for that. The statue, he was always treated like royalty at Celtic games. So I think he softened over the years but to think that he was everyone, everyone's friend and every, him and Kuzi were tight. And I just think, no, uh, Russell, Russell held some of those, uh, you know, was, was not happy with, with, with the way things were. And, and the fact that the world, the country took so long to, to progress. Yeah. And we'll get into the social justice aspect, which I think does play a very huge role in that relationship that he has in Boston. I'm fairly new to, I like to think I'm still fairly new to Boston, but one of the places in this city where you often hear his name is the Slade restaurant in, I guess that's considered like the South and slash Roxbury, like right on that border because he was an owner of Slade's in the sixties. And 
the obviously he's not it wasn't an owner in recent years, but the legacy of him being there, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, or two other notable guests that would frequent that establishment. And that just goes to show how at one point he did have some kind of foothold when it came to non-sports related influence in the way that he was able to curate a space where Black people to this day still feel welcome and can have that community of food and meeting others and just being around other Black people in a city where generally we're made to feel or have historically felt as though we don't belong in this city. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. We talked about Bill Russell as the way he was able to have an influence in the city of Boston alone, but I do want to talk about his influence when you talk about the NBA, the game of basketball. So Gary, Sherrod, what do you think was his biggest contribution to the game? Gary, you got it. Um, I, I just think anything you say about Mr. Russell, you can say more. It's just hard to really encapsulate that into like, oh, well, he brought, like Kareem could say the sky hook. Like, with Bill Russell, it was everything. He was the ultimate winner, the first black coach, the first player coach. Just imagine now a, a player coach, LeBron James taking over the Lakers and not only have to manage the Lakers, coach the Lakers, uh, you know, coach his teammates, but also go out there and play at a high level. That's what Bill Russell did. Like, to me, you know, it was just winning, doing whatever it takes to win, not being the biggest behemoth out on the floor. That was Will Chamberlain. Russell won most of his matchup with the World Chamberlain, 21 and 0 in, in, in closeout game, or games of game seven or, or win or go home games. Like just an astounding statistical career. And also just a team guy, like blocking the shot and not, you know, what, swatting it out of bounds and pounding his chest and get that stuff out of here. No, blocking the shot, gathering the ball, passing the koozie to start the break. And you know, two points for his team, two points you didn't get, two points his team got. Team ball. That was what I thought. And I mean, obviously, on off the floor is, you know, just his contributions are ext extraordinary. But I also think just his contribution, I just think, unfortunately, I'll say this, the NBA is does a, a terrible job of historically like the like NFL films if I want to go and look at the old 1967 Green Bay Packers there's a, a film on the entire team they're every game like I can go watch the Super Bowls of, of those times I can watch the championship games I can watch Jim Brown in action and be like damn the NBA needs to improve its like historical you know piece in terms of video so these young people can watch a Bill Russell game because all you see is Havlicek stole the ball and you see Kuzi with one hand dribbling all around, and that's what kids think that the 60s were. Dudes playing in some low-top Chuck Taylors, shoot, shooting set shots. Like, these guys, first of all, they played with ripped tendons and 
in, in muscles. And they played at a time where the, the floor, you know, this is not the soft, you know, uh, the, the, the facilities, they didn't have great practice facilities. They played on these hardwood floors. They played in facilities that, you know, one, two showers, like they played in stuff that was just, would be absurd now. And so we don't respect the Russell's times and Chamberlain's times because, oh, well, that's 56 years ago. They was playing the Chucks, low chap Chucks. Like, no, look, try if you can, look at some of those games. Look at what Russell did. Look at the athleticism, the grace or whatever. And playing in conditions where it was easier to get hurt. The basketball stanchions didn't have padding and a bunch of ads on there where they they were sitting in, in metal chairs, not those cushy chairs that, that, that they sit on now. Like they were sitting in metal chairs, like all the, uh, the amenities that they have now, they didn't have. And I wish that we would have more respect for those times. And I wish the NBA would digitalize, as my man Vince Goodwill uh, put on Twitter, digitalize their videos from those days so we can actually honestly see and have an appreciation for the 1960s. We really don't appreciate the NBA till like Dr. J and then it gets in the magic and burn. We, Russell were like, well, it was black and white. Like, no folks, the world was not in black and white in those days. It was in color, right? It was real color out there. And those, those um, gentlemen played at a time and, and, and their athleticism, their grace, their ability to shoot jump shots, shoot hook shots, one hand, two hands, whatever, the skill set was amazing. And I just think Russell personified that. He was the best player of an era of amazing players, Elgin Baylor and Jerry West. Like, Bill Russell stood above the rest. That's what I see. Well, here's the thing uh, about Bill. The, the one thing that I think often gets lost in his greatness is the elite athleticism he brought to the NBA, particularly at the defensive end of the floor. You know, when Bill first began playing it back in the, in the 50s and 60s, defensively, your whole job was to be in the right defensive position. You did not jump. You did not do the kind of above-the-rim athleticism that we see now defensively until Bill Russell came along. Uh, people, I, I'm not sure, understand that Bill was an elite high jumper. And having that length, that size and the ability to, to leap the way he did, Bill did what came naturally. He used that to his advantage when he was on the floor. And so that at, at the time wasn't exactly embraced wholeheartedly because Bill was doing something different. He was breaking the mold. He was doing in the basketball world what we came to see him do in, in the world, in, in society and in general, and that is be a difference maker, be a game changer, bring something to the conversation and a discourse that wasn't present before. And we saw that at the defensive end of the floor with him actually blocking shots, leave, leaving the ground to block shots. And that was something, again, we take that for granted now because we see it all the time. But during the 60s, that was unheard of. And teams eventually figured out that, wow. That's something that can actually be to our benefit as, as a team. And it's all of a sudden, you start seeing more players slowly but surely come into the league that had the ability to play above the rim, that brought a, an elite level of athleticism. And then it became pretty clear that this is something that not only is good for our respective teams, but it's good for the league. It's good for people to see that we have a different kind of athleticism. And, and yes, we were, you know, when people think about athleticism, they, they often think about black players. And, and that's true to, to a large extent. But when you look at guys like Jerry West, if you really watch Jerry West play, Jerry West was a super athlete. He's one of those, again, like Bill Russell, someone who 
you may think because they played in a black and white era that they could not get it done in this time, in time but you watch them closely. Bill Russell would still be a dominant player in this day and age. Jerry West would still be a dominant player in this day and age. And it wasn't until Bill Russell really made athleticism something that coaches and GMs and owners could see as a tangible benefit. That is, we become a better team. We win more games. Winning more games brings more popularity. More popularity brings more people. And that means more money. That, to me, is one of the low-key significant contributions that Bill Russell made to the game of basketball. The fact that he made defense something that everyone didn't just try to do. They made it a priority. And before that, it just wasn't. I mean, and also to that point, from the standpoint of being an 11-time NBA champ, I don't care what era you played in, that's not easy to do. And then for him to eventually become not only, like you mentioned, Gary, the first player coach, but really the first Black professional head coach across the United States. When you talk about all the sports that we have here, I think that just speaks volumes as to the way he was able to impact on the floor, but then also on the sidelines as a coach. And really just build momentum for other coaches to black coaches to be even considered for a role like that, which is still <laughs> needs a lot of progress in 2022. Well, I think that yeah. he, was, he was someone who like, he wanted, he wanted more. I don't think he was happy being the first one. He wanted more coaches. I mean, you look at a time where like John McClendon, the great John McClendon uh, coach an ABA team in the early 1970s, briefly, like, there was not, there was a perception that black men could not be coaches. There was a perception besides Bill Russell. Oh, well, you had to be intelligent like Bill and a descendant, a disciple of Red Auerbach to do that. But the tokenism, really. Like exactly. he, he's the good one, but and then obviously not Casey the Jones, people don't remember mm-hmm. uh Casey Jones, coach a team before the Celtics, uh coach a team uh Washington Bullets to the, to the NBA finals in 1975. And his opposing coach was Al Adel. So that was the first black. Uh, you know, two black men approaching each other it was 1975. So the league to start obviously started to change in the mid 1970s. But that was because of Russell. That was because of Russell's urging. Russell and other players who were not happy with the NBA slow to progress situation, like the hardship rule. Well, we don't want a bunch of brothers coming into this league. That we don't want that. You don't want a bunch of 20 year old brothers from Detroit and from Cleveland and from you know New York coming into the league. Like there was a lot of barriers that had to be broken. Now we look at the NBA as such a diverse league because half the league coaches are black. And, you know, we have a, you know, it's, it's, it's a mostly black league. We look, Oh, this is great. Isn't this great? But let's be honest, we're still not where we are in terms of the general managers. But in those days it was like, yeah, y'all good enough to play, but you guys aren't good enough to coach or be a general manager. Mm -hmm. Uh, Russell broke those barriers. I want to next, before we move on to his most, I think, important impact, let's give some love to another sponsor, Indeed.com. They are the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple different job sites, just go to Indeed.com and they should be your number one stop for hiring for any roles that you have. Indeed makes it easy to start. It only takes 10 minutes or less for small business owners to post a job according to Indeed's data. So Indeed is the place where you can start hiring actually right now. And you can actually also get a $75 sponsored job credit. All you have to do is go to indeed.com slash A-list and you'll get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash A-list. 
need to hire, you need Indeed. Bill Russell's biggest contribution to the world was his social justice activism in an era where, as we already have talked about, being a Black man was political in itself. And he hung out, like we mentioned as well, with the likes of Muhammad Ali and Martin Luther King, other well-known activists. But he was different because he was an athlete who was doing it similar to Muhammad Ali, where it's not looked highly upon to do so. So from your two's perspective, how do you think his social justice impacted the world? Well, before the narrative about shut up and dribble became alive and well, Russell was, was pushing back on that narrative by the positions that he took. Uh, he, again, his support of Muhammad Ali, who did not go, did not want to go into the Vietnam War, was very controversial. Uh, but even on a, on a more local level, you know, Bill recognized that the world was changing. Uh, and the organization and the team, the league as a whole, was not. Uh, he, he noticed that, you know, when he joined the Celtics, he was the only black player. Uh, and he made point of mentioning that and talking about that. And then he recognized that most of the teams in the NBA don't have black players. And he made it, he made some noise about that. And that noise was the the precipitous to bring about the kind of change that we've seen today. Uh, you start looking at just what he did in, on those lines. You look back at that, I believe it was the 1964 All-Star game that was in Boston, uh, where they were ready to strike because they wanted a pension plan. And even though you hear a lot about Tommy Heinsohn, who was head of the, of the Players Union at that time in his role, it was Russell who actually called the players to have a vote on whether they were going to strike or not for that also game. And this was the first, it was going to be the first televised uh, NBA All-Star game. And on top of that, of the 20 players that were in that All-Star game, 17 of them wound up in the Hall of Fame. So you literally had the best of the best. And if the NBA was ever going to blink, that's what was going to make it happen. And get, and Bill Russell deserves a lot of credit for recognizing the power that the players had to get legislation that would that would get them a pension plan. Fifteen minutes before they were supposed to tip off, you know, the, the NBA commissioner at that time, Walter Kennedy, came in and said, you got it. You're going to get the pension. And again, Bill Russell's willingness to just put it all in the line uh, was instrumental. And that's the one thing about him that I, I don't think uh, gets enough attention. He took positions that when we look at them in hindsight, that makes sense. That's the right thing to do. That's equitable. We, we get that. But at that time, he, there was not, that support did not exist. He was a, frankly, he was, he, he was trouble for a lot of people because he took positions that would more or less recalibrate the power structures that were in place. And he was not afraid to take that chance and, and, and go there with so few would. And it's very different than the players today, where a lot of the positions that they take are popular positions. Uh, if there's uh, a young man who is killed by an officer and you and there's a picket about police brutality, that's an easy position to, to get behind uh, for a player. But Russell didn't take the easy route. He took the route, the right route, the route of progress, the route of prosperity, the route that would bring about the kind of systemic change that would create a more balanced, a more equitable, a more fair system for, for all athletes, particularly NBA players. And that was not popular uh, because, again, it went against the societal norms of the time. But Russell didn't give a damn about that. 
Um, and that's something that I think often gets lost in the Bill Russell story. The fact that he was a pioneer in getting done with so many, I think deep down knew needed to change, but didn't have the heart or the guts or the courage to, to make that change. And, and he, to his credit, used his platform uh, to help bring about that change and raise a lot of those issues that were otherwise out there that very few athletes at that time were speaking out on. Yeah, I think with Russell, with Mr. Russell, I think it was just being the intelligent figure that was black and unapologetically black, I think was his biggest contribution. Um, not, not, not making feel, people feel comfortable. I think, I think we have to understand that in the 1960s, the most affluent African-Americans besides let's say someone like an A. Philip Randolph or sorry, uh, Adam Clayton Powell, or uh, you know, in politics, the most affluent African-Americans were actors, actresses, entertainers, and athletes. And to speak out against civil rights, to be like a Harry Belafonte or you know, some of these folks who went out and risked their careers, that's what Russell did because Russell could have easily said, listen, I gotta take care of my family. He had a family, wife, like, I can't do this. I'm making 112,000 or whatever it was back then. It was not a lot um, in comparison to now, but I'm making 112,000 a year. Like, I need to keep my mouth shut and keep playing ball. That's gonna put food on my table and, and make things easier for me. But he did not do that. He risked his career, like Muhammad Ali and his son risked his career. Obviously, he lost three and a half years off his career. His, prime years refuse to go to Vietnam War. You know, guys like Russell and Jim Brown risked their careers because being outspoken and African-American in the 1960s was not viewed upon as positive. They were treated like Kaepernick was in a sense. They were treated, they were ostracized. Why can't you just be like uh, the good old boys? Why can't you just be like Joe Lewis? Why can't you just be like Jesse Owens where you, you compete and you're discriminated against, disrespected, but you keep your mouth shut and, you know, we'll, we'll give you a little something, something along the way. No, that was not Bill Russell. That was the thing that I think was the biggest sacrifice is that the 1960s, if you were going to, if you look at, look at people like Eartha Kitt and, and people like Harry, but like who fought against certain, were political and ostracized, not given roles, take, had things taken away. I mean, they could, you know, I mean, Nat King Cole was not allowed to live in certain neighborhoods in Los Angeles in the 1960s. And this is the most accomplished singer, Black singer of all time at that particular time. Like, this is, you know, this is not something that, you know, is, was, was normal. You didn't matter how famous you were. You're not living here. No. Yeah, you first class. You got a nice Cadillac. No, you're not still. That's nice. Go, go live with them. Don't live over here. And so Russell you know, fought that. Russell fought, he spoke up because it would have been easy to bring home his money, live his life, take care of his family and not say a word about what's going on around him. But he spoke for people who couldn't speak for themselves. He wrote for, he spoke for people who looked like him, who didn't have the basketball prowess or who weren't 6'10 and couldn't, you know, play hoop and, and make, make money that way, you know, because that was a risky proposition in those days when you were making more than your parents and your grandparents ever thought of making. Remember, yeah. these, some of these people were grandparents were slaves. 
some of these people, or great grandparents were slaves. We're talking about the 1960s. We're talking about people they came were still from sharecropping nothing. at that point. Yes. Some of them, yeah. litter of abject poverty. Okay, uh, three cents a day kind of stuff. And you're talking about them making a hundred thousand dollars or eighty thousand dollars. That is egregious money in comparison. And to risk that, and and, and say like you know over. Civil rights, well, you have got civil rights. Look at you, you're making good money. Like, no, it doesn't matter about me. What about the rest of my people? Where are they? That's the biggest thing I see from Bill Russell, his sacrifices, because he didn't have to do that. In an, in, in an era that ostracized Black people, especially for being outspoken, that assassinated Black people, like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, for being outspoken. And there's Russell having a basketball camp uh, uh, integrated basketball camp in, this, in, 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 this, in the deep South. You know, there's Russell, you know, just breaking barriers and being unapologetic about it. And no, I'm not here to make you comfortable. No, I'm not the nice black guy that you could, you know, you, you no, none of that. You know, I'm not, art, you know, don't call me articulate. Don't call me, a, no, don't, none of that. That's what I think his biggest contribution was. No, I agree. I, I appreciate how, to your point, unapologetically disruptive he was in that era because without him there are so many things that again still need to be changed but would not have had as much progress if him and the likes of Malcolm X and others weren't able to speak up and like you, you there was an FBI a report that called him an arrogant negro who wouldn't sign autographs for white children like the FBI had a target on him and that's how you know he was a threat to what they considered was the norm I do want to plug Vincent. You mentioned Vinny Goodwill earlier. He had a really profound line in Yahoo Sports. I would suggest reading that as well, where he says, Bill Russell played in a city that loved him for 48 minutes at a time and barely tolerated him when he wore civilian clothes. And his sister also, I mean, sorry, his daughter reflected on when they moved to Boston, how he was received, the N-word being written all over their house, garbage being thrown on the ground. And Ironically enough, when he tried to report the fact that people were throwing garbage and asked for a gun permit, all of a sudden the raccoons that the police department said were probably the disruption disappeared. So it wasn't easy for him at the beginning without a doubt. So the fact that he was able to just be really a trailblazer in multiple areas, I think is 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 unbelievable when you just reflect on what he's gone through. But before we close out, I'd love to hear what you two would say is your fondest memory of Bill Russell? Oh goodness, Bill's got so many. There's so many. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's so many, and and you know it's it's easy to kind of lock in on you know some of the basketball stuff he's done, but to me, uh, the, the one thing about Bill that you know just talking with with folks who have been around him, he he's a funny dude. Uh, he's he's got a great sense of humor, and he's you know as as much as we talk about Bill Russell is team first, second, and third. Bill is extremely confident in his ability to to play the game of basketball. Uh, I remember the award show where Bill, uh, you know, he looked out in the crowd and he saw a lot of the guys, uh, you know, good players. And he was just not matter of fact, like I would kick your ass and your ass and your ass. And they're probably thinking like, he's probably right. Because there was like no... Bill was, he was just that confident in, in his ability to do the only thing that he cared about was winning. Uh, and that to me is, is, is the character of a great man, a great leader, uh, understanding that the success of my, my people 
has to be greater than my individual success. Uh, but make no mistake about it. If I got to bust you to make it, make it to my team and win, I can do that. And I want to let you know that. Uh, so Bill was very good about, about putting put people on, on front street about who he could take out and, and, and things like that. So, uh, and I've always appreciated that candor about Bill, uh, that just spoke volumes about his ability to play the game and, and just ability to make an impact, whether it's on or off the court. Uh, for me, it was um, the 2010 NBA Finals. For whatever, obviously, for obvious reasons, um, Mr. Russell did not talk to the Boston Globe for for decades. Um, he did not like, uh, in many cases, Boston media. Um, it had issues with them. So, Game One of the 2010 NBA Finals, uh, Kwani was in high school, uh, senior <laughs> senior in high school then. About I knew that was coming. Get ready for prom. Uh, <laughs> getting a prom dress. Having her mama pick up her prom dress. Yeah. And we got a discount on that one. Yes. Oh, wow. Before game one of 2010 NBA Finals, uh, it was media day. And at the Staples Center, obviously, all the players, you know, the, the, the main players, so the big three of Garnett, Pierce, and Allen spoke on a podium. The rest of the Celtics were on, a, on parts, different parts of the arena, floor available for one-on-ones or whatever with the reporters. And on the floor, too, was like, you know, former NBA player Rick Fox was there, like, you know, former Celtics, former Lakers, you know, dignitaries. And Bill Russell was on the floor. So I approached Bill Russell and I said, Mr. Russell, do you have a few, do you, can you, do you have a few minutes to talk to me? And he looked at me and he looked me up and down and said, um, where are you from? I said, the globe. Ooh. He said, mm, you've got three minutes. And I talked to him for three minutes. And I don't think he had ever hadn't been quoted in the globe for at least 30 years before then. And I remember my colleague, Jan Shaughnessy was like, oh, oh, bleep. Gary's talking to Bill Russell. And um, I, he granted me the interviews. The only time I talked to, ever talked to him. I got a chance to see him at times in Seattle when he lived there and the Sonics were doing things, uh, you know, events, they would bring him there because he was obviously a former Sonic coach and he lived in Seattle till obviously he passed away. Uh, he was, he lived in Washington. So he would be, I'd see him there and how you doing, sir. But this is the only time I interviewed him. And I don't know if he had pity or sympathy for me or whatever, but he actually talked to me and uh, he gave me three minutes. And I got all the questions I could. I didn't waste no questions. And yeah. how you doing? No, that's a question. Next, you know, like whatever, <laughs> like that. Yeah. It was uh, it was just about the series and the history of the Celtics Lakers mm-hmm. and his thoughts. And he was fine with me. And I said, thank you, sir. And that was my interaction with Bill Russell. Obviously, I'd seen him numerous times over the years or whatever, said hello to him or how you doing, sir. Never didn't try to talk to him. I felt like he was interviewed out and I'm not going to, Ooh, let me get a bill. Right. You got a quote for me. Like, no, yeah. I, I, I had too much respect for you for that. And just when you see someone of that stature or whatever, you just dodge your head, you give him the respect he deserves and let him go on about his life and, and do whatever he's there to do. But I just thought that was a cool moment for me. One of my thrills or one of my biggest interviews I've ever done. You know, and I approached him and I hope you know, he could have said, get out of my face, you mm-hmm. know, Dude, get out of my face, young young cat. Get out, you know, before I, you know, give you one of these elbows or something. But he looked me up and down and said, you know, uh, you got three minutes. And 
I took three minutes and that was it. And he talked to me and, uh, you know, my staff and my boss was very pleased. And I don't know when the last previous time he had been quoted in the Globe, but apparently it was a long time because he did not speak to the Globe. He was not a fan of the coverage of the team and the coverage of himself and of his, of his plight in Boston. So I was glad I was able to talk to him and show respect and give him the respect that he deserved. And, and you know, maybe him seeing a, a black reporter for the Globe maybe helped him in, in that sense. So that's my Bill Russell story. So I, I took advantage of my three minutes. No, that's exactly what I was going to say, though. I think whether he intentionally thought this out or not, the fact that and this is obviously a whole rant on when you talk about diversity and inclusion in newsrooms, why it's so important. When he went to Boston, there were probably no Black reporters at the time. He was definitely unfairly covered by not only the journalists, who are the ones that are feeding information to the fans. So I do think that there is some level of him seeing you and understanding how important it was that you were there and giving you those three minutes. So that's that's a beautiful memory. Mine is actually in 2018 when Charles Barkley was giving a speech and he actually thanked Bill Russell during that speech and Bill in the most charming way possible flipped him off as a response on live television. And then he later tweeted out an apology, which was even funnier to me because I'm like, you're Bill Russell. You do not need to apologize for anything, but that's my favorite meme of anyone getting flipped off, Bill Russell, because he does it with such grace where you're like, all right, flip me off. <laughs> and then he gives you that laugh afterwards. Which yeah, is just, you're like, oh, it's that, timeless. Yeah, yeah. And also remember, if for you old TV fans, he was he made an appearance on White Shadow, the old basketball series about the high school team. Look it up, Kwani. I got to find Google, this. Google it. He made an appearance on a, on a show called The White Shadow, which okay. was about a white coach coaching an inner city basketball team in L.A., and me being an LA kid and growing up in the eighties, it was, it was basically like, wow, that, that could be a team that, that could be my high school team. Um, Coolidge, my man, Coolidge. That was yeah. my guy. Coolidge was my guy. Coolidge, who was the six, eight center had major issues being tall. He, he hated the jokes. He hated the scrutiny that he got from being so tall. And the coach ended up getting Bill Russell to talk to him who played himself to talk to him nice. about the perils of being tall and how to deal with it and how to, how to, how to embrace being six foot nine, six ten, mm -hmm. And people don't remember, like that was, that was a cool episode because, you know, he took him out and shot some baskets with him and showed him about, you know, Hey, how, this is how you deal and, and love yourself and be love your own skin and love the fact, because as we know, um, not every tall person loves being tall. Like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a person who was very shielded for being now. Not everybody is Shaq. Everybody mm -hmm. Shaq bigger than life. And Bill Russell loved that. But, you know, I thought that was a cool episode to teach even, you know, tall guys that, hey, you know, they go through their scrutiny, too. So I thought that was one of my memories, too, just to see him, um, you know, probably 12 years after his career. So still looking kind of like he could play a little bit and shooting baskets with Coolidge. Uh, in that episode, and so YouTube it, Kwani. Honestly, it should be on YouTube. But it's a show a called episode. The White Shadow, one of my all-time favorite shows. I got it on DVD. Um, I wish they would show it somewhere on syndication. They don't. Of all these damn shows, I got to watch Martin and 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 uh, you know, girlfriends. Yeah, girlfriends. And <laughs> what's that show with with uh, Monique? Uh, the Parkers. I got to watch oh, part, yeah. the Parkers. A different world. I started watching that again this week. Yeah, I can't get no damn White Shadow. Like, what's up? 
You know, we can't get no coons and no salami. We can't yeah, get no coons and salami. I can't get no white shadow on my TV. So anyway, no that was one of my memories too of him playing kind of the you know the, the old old head to, to give Kool-Aid some advice. I love it. Any That's final cool. thoughts? I like going down memory lane. I mean, I, I wish I wish it would be under different circumstances, but it's always good to just appreciate just the legends, the people who changed the game for so many of us. Um, and, and, and to your point, Kwan, it, it, it's a reminder of why representation does matter. Uh, someone has to be that agent of change. And, and Bill Russell was that for so many of us on so many levels. Uh, and, and I, you know, I'm appreciative and grateful for all that he's done uh, that I know about and I don't know about. Because I know, again, when you're an agent of change, there are things that you're making happen that most people don't realize your imprint is on them. Uh, but the things we do know that he's put an imprint on is pretty damn massive. So uh, Bill Russell will be missed, but absolutely never forgotten. Number six, thank you so much for your contributions to the NBA, to the city of Boston, but more importantly, to social change throughout not only the U.S., but really throughout the world. This is the A-List Podcast. Thank you for listening.